Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. that tune there are two or three of you that remember it it's a new song some of you were not here when it was played last because it was played twice it was played on the 14th of November 2015 which was a Saturday evening when we celebrated the 100th anniversary of Gambrel Street Baptist Church and then it was played the next day we sang it both days on the 15th which was a Sunday It is the new song that was commissioned. Timothy McKinney composed both the words and the tune, and it was commissioned with the tune name Gambrel Street. We'll probably sing it again sooner or later, but I wanted you to listen to the chords, wanted you to listen to the tune, because it reminds us that there are new songs that we sing Upon this place of fellowship of Christ has found a fertile space to raise a church, to honor God, to nurture faith in endless grace, to strive for right, to teach and learn, to share agape's warm embrace. That's the beginning stanza. And Timothy then has a sing about within this place we worship God through word proclaimed and scripture read. Into this place, with Christian love, we welcome all who enter in. Beyond this place, our mission flows into a world in desperate need. And then he closes the last stanza, five stanzas in this one. God, bless your church in all she does and guide her through each stormy stress. Sustain the ray of hope she beams o'er humankind's bleak emptiness. Far down the path our saints have trod toward heaven's joys and love's success. A new song. A new song. We need to sing new songs. It's a part of our worship. When we worship the Lord, as we are reminded over the past couple of months, beckons us to come walk with Him. Come here, walk with Him to worship Him here, and then we walk with Him as we leave to worship and serve Him. And we're not to be casual about it. We walk before the Almighty God as we prayed earlier. He is Abba, but He's also Father God Almighty, wholesome, uh, wholesome and, and holy and awesome. Holy, holy, holy. We're to confess our sins, and when we do, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And He then commissions us, having been cleansed, to go forward then and to 
live out a life of worship by serving Him and proclaiming His name to people so that they might see that they can be called out of darkness into the light, and we are to walk a holy life. Five weeks ago, we preached from First Chronicles 16, and the subject was holy means holy. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, and we're to serve Him with gladness. He promises after He has cleansed us to restore the gladness to restore the joy not of our salvation, but the joy of His salvation that is in us. And then last week, we were reminded that it is God's Word, God's Word that guides us and grows us in worship, and it's God's Word in the worshipful walk that feeds us at our deepest need with Himself. It leads us then to this next phase in discussing worship. Our most fulfilling for us And pleasing for God response, I think, is to break out in joyful and continuous song, to sing aloud. We sing because we're happy. We sing because we're what? Free. We sing with all our heart. We should sing as we are called to love the Lord. We should sing with all of our heart. We should sing with all of our mind. We should sing with all of our soul. And we should sing with all of our strength. We sing each day a new song, not just when we come here on Sunday morning. We should sing with our soul a new song along with all of creation that should be singing unto Him. And we should do so by glorifying His name, His blessed holy name. So as we stand together this morning, we're going to read from the beginning of one of those psalms that proclaims, would you stand with me, what we have just said, to sing a new song each day with all of His creation, to bless His holy name. Psalm 96, beginning at verse 1, we'll read the first nine verses. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. And God's people said, Amen. Let's be seated. That last phrase, as you'll remember from about a month ago, was we're to worship the Lord in the holy attire is the beauty of holiness. And that comes out of both Psalm 96 and 1 Chronicles 16. You'll remember when we preached, when we looked at the text from 1 Chronicles, which parallels this, the background. The ark is being moved into Jerusalem. It had been captured by the Philistines, and it had been returned to Israel, and it had been moved twice, first first to Beth Shemesh, 
and then to Kiriath-Jeraim, where the custodian Eleazar kept it in the house of Amenadab. Now David has decided, after it has been separated from the tabernacle for almost 50 years, he has built a new tabernacle then in Jerusalem to return it or to bring it to Jerusalem and to bring it back into the tabernacle. And after a disastrous attempt at Kiriath-Jeraim, where one of the men that was attending it was struck dead, it has resided at Obed-Edom for three months. David has defeated the Philistines again, and he has then erected the tabernacle, and he is bringing it into Jerusalem, and he has commissioned 862 Levites who have consecrated themselves specifically for this purpose. And the procession is attended by all the elders and the captains of all of the hosts of his army. And David has commissioned a hymn, a new song to commemorate this occasion a hymn of thanksgiving, and he has asked Asaph, Samuel's, great grand, or Samuel's grandson, to lead in the singing of this hymn. And the hymn is found in 1 Chronicles 16, and it includes the psalm which we just read from today. You see, Psalm 96 is in book 4 of the Psalms, which begins in Psalm 90, and it's part of a group of psalms that celebrate the enthronement of God as supreme king. Six of those psalms in that block commemorate Jehovah's enthronement. Psalm 93, and then the psalm that we just read as an introduction to our worship today, Psalm 95, goes through Psalm 99. And this celebration of the enthronement of God, which is represented then in the emplacement of the Ark of the Covenant, then reaches a crescendo in the psalm after that in Psalm 100, where it breaks forth in joyful singing and thanksgiving to God. Psalm 96, we're not going to look at the whole psalm today, but it is about Jehovah being king over all creation. The first three verses, it speaks about he is the savior, not just of a few, but he is the savior of all peoples. Verses four through six, he is the creator not just from stuff, but of all stuff, from nothing, of the whole cosmos. Verses 7 through 9, he is the glorious Lord to be worshipped by all peoples, by all families. Another way of putting it is all tribes, all ethnicities, people from all nations. And then it closes the last four verses, verses 10 through 13, that he is the sovereign judge who reigns now, even now, firmly, everything is firmly in place, and he will govern fairly forever. This is a new song. First Chronicles 16 was a new song. First Chronicles 16 actually included three psalms that had been written previously. 105 that comes out of book four, and 106, parts of it, sandwiched then in the middle, Psalm number 96. Psalm number 96 is found in its entirety in that passage in 1 Chronicles 16 and verses 23 through 33. The Old Testament exhorts in several places and describes in other places the need for singing new songs to the Lord at least seven times. And six of the Psalms and then Isaiah 42, they exhort us to sing a new song. The meaning of the phrase, the Kadesh Sher, the Kadesh, which means new, has a couple of meanings. It can mean something that is brand new, 
as when God created from nothing. The cosmos at that point was brand new, absolutely pristine, completely new. It did not previously exist. But it also could mean something that is fresh, something that is new in that respect, like freshly harvested grain that brings nurture and sustenance. The word share, which means song, can mean, in fact, the lyrics. It can mean the words that we sing, that we commit to memory in our heart, the words that come to our mind when we hear the tune. It can mean that, but it also can mean the music. It can mean the melody, the tune of the song. And so when you put those together, when we're told to sing a new song, it could mean to sing literally a brand new song. But it also can mean to sing a renewed melody, to take a melody, a song that we have sung many times before, but to sing it with fresh new attitudes, something that revives us and brings the words alive. So I want to look at two or three things this morning from this psalm, just the very beginning of it. We're not going to do an, ex, we're not going to do an explanation of all 7, 8, 10, 12, 14 verses. I just want to look at the first verse. And as a matter of fact, the first part of the first verse, sing unto the Lord a new song. You know, that was, not, that was the one part that was not found in 1 Chronicles 16. I think it says to us that we worship here. Here and now, we worship here by, in fact, singing new songs. We heard it this morning. Upon this place, a new song. Sometimes we worship here by singing songs anew in a fresh new way. And I think the psalmist means that. You put both of those together, there's a reason for that, though. You see, we not only sing new songs here, and we not only sing them anew here, but we are preparing here as we sing here and now for eternal worship there. There is a purpose beyond. You see, we worship here by singing new songs. This is the way the Psalter grew. The Psalter, the 150 Psalms that we have, grew this way by adding new songs on new occasions, new events. Sometimes it was because of a reason to express praise or joy. David wrote about 75 of the Psalms. Some of the ones that he wrote were very joyful. Sometimes it was to express lament and grief. Sometimes it was an imprecatory Psalm. It was one that in his anger, especially David wrote several of these, asking God then to punish his enemies Sometimes they were, they were psalms of confession and repentance. Sometimes psalms that express faith and trust. Sometimes thanksgiving. Sometimes giving. Sometimes royal occasions such as weddings or perhaps the coronation and enthronement of the king as we have celebrated this morning. Some of them, new occasions celebrating the feast days in Jerusalem, the ascent psalms as the pilgrims then marched to Zion. Sometimes they're teaching psalms that convey knowledge and wisdom. Sometimes they're psalms that direct the liturgical order of worship and instruct us how to do so. And sometimes they were occasions where the psalmist felt we needed to hear the history of Israel and the mighty deeds of God. This is how the psaltery grew. It was through specific occasions when new songs were written. David composed several of those new songs for specific circumstances. When you look at the headings of the Psalms, 
There are 14 occasions where we're told that David wrote them for specific events. Now, probably he did that for all of them, but we know what those events were. Nine times he wrote Psalms because he was being pursued and persecuted by Saul. And it tells us that's why he wrote them. It was a new song, you see. And he was expressing yet once again to God his frustration with Saul and wanted God's protection. Five times we're told in the Psalms that he did it after he became king on specific occasions. A new song. Psalm number 30 is another one of those that celebrates then the building of the new tabernacle and the emplacement of the Ark of the Covenant, for example. Psalm number 60 He is celebrating in song the victories that he has experienced over the Syrians and the Edomites. Psalm number 51, I don't need to tell you, you know that. It's his psalm of confession. This specific event was what? He had sinned greatly before God Almighty in his adultery with Bathsheba and then his murder of Uriah the Hittite. Psalm 3 is a mournful song, a lament as he is fleeing Jerusalem because his son Absalom is chasing him into the wilderness. Psalm 18, even though it's not near the end of the Psalter, is near the end of David's life when he's reflecting on God's deliverance and his vanquishing of all of his enemies. You see, these new songs were written on specific occasions as we commissioned Timothy to write the hymn for Gambrel's anniversary. There are other biblical songs that do this on special occasions. In Exodus 15, Moses and then followed by Miriam sing a song of thanksgiving for deliverance through the Red Sea. Near the end of Deuteronomy, then Moses sings his great song. Those are two of Moses' songs. There are three that are found in Scripture. The second one is in Deuteronomy 32, and it's his final words to Israel. He's reflecting upon the goodness and the faithfulness of God, and he is warning them that they must not sin or they will be taken into captivity, and yet God will restore them. In Judges, the fifth chapter, Deborah and Barak, which means, in fact, bless. They bless God. They thank God for the victory that they've had over the Canaanites. And 1 Samuel 2, Hannah gives thanks to God for obvious reasons. But she doesn't focus so much on Samuel. She exalts God for his goodness as she dedicates him. In Isaiah 38, Hezekiah has been told by Isaiah that he's going to die. And yet, then God tells Isaiah, I'm going to intervene and I'm going to save him. And he's going to live another 15 years. And Hezekiah breaks forth in joyful thanksgiving and song. Jonah does just the opposite in the second chapter of Jonah. He's in the belly of the fish. And he is crying a song of lament inside, begging for God to deliver him, which he did. Habakkuk, in the third chapter, Habakkuk knows the judgment of God is coming upon Judah. And as he faces that judgment in the hard times to come, yet he rejoices in the strength of the Lord. Daniel. Daniel thanks God in Psalm and Daniel, the second chapter. No one can not only interpret the king's dream. No one can tell the king what his dream is. That's impossible. Who can read the mind of a king? And if you cannot, wise men of Babylon, you'll be put to death, including Daniel. And yet God sent to Daniel the vision that told him what the king, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. And and Daniel sings then on that specific occasion a new song giving thanks for that. You know, sometimes a new song is a whole new song. 
tunes, words, and all, just as we've heard this morning. Sometimes it's a modification of a tune or a modification of the words. For example, in 2010 at BH Carroll Theological Institute, we commissioned C.L. Bass to write a hymn for us. He didn't change the words. He changed the key of an old song from A major to D major. And then he didn't change the words, but he commissioned a new hymn for Carroll Institute, Lord, your church on earth is seeking. So sometimes it's not completely new in words or tune. In the 18th and the 19th centuries, this was the great explosive era of new song writing. You know, Charles Wesley, we are not really certain exactly how many hymns he wrote. Over 6,500, some say as many as maybe 9,000. This means that in adulthood, the 50 years of his adulthood, after he was converted in 1738, he wrote an average of one new song every two days. Amazing. Some were of better quality than the others, hymnologists tell me. Uh, Fanny J. Crosby, she was asked one day how many hymns she'd written. She said, I don't know, somewhere around 8,000, and that's pretty accurate. Isaac Watts wrote over 750, the era of great new song writing. But you know, folks, it's not always just about quantity, is it? It's also about quality. Where would we be, for example, if it weren't for the one-hit wonders? Horatio Spafford's, It Is Well With My Soul. William Featherstone, My Jesus, I Love Thee. Where would we be if Mary Byrne didn't write the song herself? She translated, as far as I know, one song, and I'm glad she did, from the Irish. Be Thou My Vision. Moses, as I said, wrote probably more than three, but we know of three psalm, songs that he wrote, the two that I've already talked about. But in the Psalter, Moses himself has only one song, and it's Psalm 90. Friends, you may not have many songs in you. You may have never written one on paper. I've only ever written one. But you know what? You have a song. It is you. The theme of this series is all on the altar. You have a song to sing before the Lord. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. What is a song that you sing before the Lord as you live out your life in worship? You see, we worship here by singing new songs, but we also worship here by singing songs anew. Sometimes we sing new tunes with old lyrics. For example, if you look in our hymnal today, you'll see that there are two songs entitled, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And just because it has the same title, sometimes you see two titles in the hymnal, you think they're the same words, they're not always. But in this case, it's the, it, that, that's true. Sometimes we sing new tunes and we modify the old lyrics. Hark the herald angels sing, oh for a thousand tongues to sing. More recently and more popularly, Amazing Grace. We know that Chris Tomlin never intended to modify Newton's Amazing Grace. He calls it the greatest song, not just him, that was ever written. But the Lord spoke to Chris Tomlin, and he then came up with a new version. Amazing Grace, my what? My chains are gone. So sometimes we sing new tunes with modified old lyrics. Sometimes we sing old tunes with new lyrics. In the hymnal that sits in front of you, there are 
to my count, 73 tunes in our hymnal that are used more than once. And there are four of them that are used five times in your hymnal. Kumranda, I think I said that right. You know, it's Welsh, so it's almost all consonants. But Kumranda, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, is also God of grace and God of glory, and three others. The festal song, come we that love the Lord, used four times in addition. Herfodal, another Welsh tune, come thou long expected Jesus, is also I will sing the wondrous story. And then where would we be without Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Ode for Joy, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. You see, we sing old tunes, but with new lyrics. Sometimes we sing sacred lyrics for tunes that come out of the secular culture. I don't think that there are any bar songs in our hymnal. That's, I think, an ancient myth. But there are certainly many classical tunes, and there are some that come out of traditional and folk music. When you look at our hymnal, for example, Beethoven's Ode for Joy. There are seven other composers in addition to that that have composed hymns, and some of them compose sacred music. Sacred, I mean, Handel or Handel, obviously sacred music. But seven of these composers also compose secular tunes that have been incorporated into our hymnal. Johannes Brahms, George Handel, Felix Mendelssohn, and Robert Schumann. Three of them have turned into national hymns, almost like national anthems. Franz Josef Haydn. We are called to be God's people. When we sing that in the worship service here, it sounds like Deutschland über alles. <laughs> Gustav Holtz, we are one in Christ, taken from his planet's sweet. Jupiter has become, I vow to thee, my country, which is at the national anthem of Britain, but it's close to it. Jean Sibelius, be thou my soul. You know the tune. Finlandia. So sometimes we use secular music like that, and then we put sacred text to it. Sometimes they're traditional songs that we retool, and we sing sacred text to it. There's 62 tunes in the hymnal that I have counted, about 9% of our hymnal, that come from traditional secular songs, folk songs. Such songs as, what child is this? And of course you know that is English, it's what? It's green sleeves. All things bright and beautiful, English. American folk songs such as, precious Lord, take my hand. There is a fountain filled with blood. Norwegian, hmm, what Norwegian tune do we have? My faith has found a resting place. Out of India, the subcontinent of India, I have decided to follow Jesus. German, fairest Lord Jesus. In addition to that, sometimes we sing a new song by translating, translating lyrics from other languages. And what we do when we do that is it's an old song, sometimes a very ancient song, and we take it and we make that culturally rich experience in that song accessible, not as a new song, but to a new generation and a new population, and it becomes a new song to them. There's 67 of those songs in our hymnal, 10%, written and translated from 17 different languages. In our hymnal, at least 18 come out of German culture, 18 out of Latin, and then there's several other languages. You know, there's something about 
music, you know this, being the international language. It's the international medium for worship. Have you ever stood in a foreign other culture worship service where you did not know the language and listened to them sing? And the next thing you knew, there was a tune that you knew, Rock of Ages or Amazing Grace. And I know those words, but as you heard them sing, you didn't understand them. And you're trying madly to run it back through your mind. Well, what are they saying? You're trying to translate. It is a surreal experience. You know, you're, you're, you're hearing words sung that you don't understand, but you know the words to a familiar tune. What this says is music and song unites brothers and sisters in Christ of all races, all genders, all backgrounds, all cultures. You see, it is the international language of worship. We tune our hearts across the cultures. The meaning is the same, though the words sound different. Sometimes we sing a song anew because of different circumstances. We've, we've heard the song time and time again. We've sung it time and time again. And yet on those particular occasions, it takes on a new meaning. For example, 1 Chronicles 16 was a new song, but it incorporated Psalms 105, 106, and 96. So they were retooled for a new purpose. Five weeks ago, I preached from 1 Chronicles 16. I did not preach on singing anew. I preached on holy means holy. Because at the end of the section that we read this morning, it talks about worshiping God and the, what? The beauty of holiness. So sometimes the text, we read the text and it comes alive in a different way. You know, I remember when I came to Southwestern in 1977. I had sung Lead On, O King, Eternal, numerous times since I was seven years old. By this time, I was 27. But you know, the seminary hymn, and those of you at Southwestern should know, if you don't, that that is the seminary hymn. Imagine standing at the first con convocation in 1977, and in that day, in the chapel there, there was standing room only, 1,500 people, all welcoming us to the hill as Robert Naylor pronounced us, you are now, what? Southwesterners. And then we sang, lead on, O King Eternal, we follow not with fears, for gladness breaks like morning where'er thy face appears. Thy cross lifted o'er us, we journey in its light. The crown awaits the conquest, lead on. O oh God of might. And I'm thinking with fear and trepidation about those classes that I'm going to have with Jack Gray and others like him. What kind of conquest is there going to be there? I don't know. And imagine then three years later as I stand at Travis Avenue Baptist Church, crowded once again with 2,500 people then in the audience in the worship service, and we are being commissioned to go and preach the gospel. Imagine how stanza one then sounds to me. Lead on, O King Eternal, the day of march has come. Henceforth, in fields of conquest, thy tents shall be our home. Through days of preparation and days and days and days and days and nights and nights of preparation, thy grace has made us strong. And now, O King Eternal, 
we lift our battle song. You see, hymns take on different meaning in different circumstances. They also appeal to us in a new way according to our feelings in different situations at different stages in life. Some hymns have a special new meaning in times of crisis or celebration, in times of grief or joy. Certain hymns take on deeper meaning at that time sometimes of comfort and sometimes of exuberant joy, but hopefully always intimacy with the Lord. Sometimes we discover new songs. Oh, they've been in the hymnal all along. We just didn't know they were there. There are a few hymns in our hymnal that hardly ever get sung, you know. And sometimes when you hear them, you know why. But I'll remember the day when I was sitting in Cecil Roper's worship class in 1980, in the spring of 1980. I had put the class off as long as I could, the worship class. You know, most of us preachers did. And he walked over to the piano and he said, you know, there's some hymns in the hymnal that you don't, you don't know. I'm going to play one for you. And for the first time I ever remember having heard it, I heard him play, What Wondrous Love. Is this? Alan knows this because occasionally he plays it. Not, not just for me, it's one of Alan's favorites too. It, it became my favorite song. I'd never heard it before. You see, it took on a new meaning. You know, though we sing hymns repeatedly, our hearts should never become jaded and callous. We need to sing them anew because they renew our souls. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. Words of life and what? Beauty. They teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. Your life, my friend, and my life is a song. We sing it unto the Lord. You're like an artist with a canvas before you. We have many great artists in this church. I don't know if you had a chance to go through the gallery at Vacation Bible School or last Sunday. I'm amazed at your talent. You put a blank canvas in front of me and all I can do is draw cartoon figures with a crayon. (laughs) But folks, each of us has a canvas before us. Each of us has a canvas that is blank. There's a blank score in front of us and we we have a tune to sing before the Lord. You see, it's His words, His words of life, but it's our tune. And we are called to bring our tune and the melody of our life in consonance and and together with His words and to sing a song for Him. You see, the circumstances may change. The needs in our life may change. The taste in our singing may change. The words of the songs may change. The tunes may change. We may play with piano or organ or sometimes in some churches around here, they even use guitars and drums. All of that may change. But the fact of the matter is the song remains the same. That brings me to the last point. You see, what do we do here? We sing here new songs, and we, we sing songs anew here. And altogether, that means that we're preparing here for eternal worship there. You see, the song remains constant. 
It's the ancient star song that is older than all of them. It's older than the oldest hymn that we have from the fourth century in our hymnal. You see, it's God's song of creation and providence. Job tells us about it in the 38th chapter. Were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? He says to Job. Tell me, if you have understanding, who set its measurements? Since you know, or who stretched the line of it, or where were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone, Job, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? You see, it's the ancient star song. That's what we're learning. And it ends in Job 38 through 41, after God has then spoken to Job through all of that, it ends in Job's what? His redemption. His redemption and restoration. You see, the ancient star song is God's song of creation and providence that always aims at redemption and restoration. And the song of redemption has three stanzas. There is the old song, the old song of the old covenant. The singers were the prophets, and the words were written on tablets of stone. In the old song, the tune was obedience brings what? Prosperity, Mount Gerizim. Disobedience brings the curse and captivity, Mount Ebal. The chorus was, there's a future coming singer who will someday redeem and set us free. And then there's a second stanza. There's the new song. The singer is the singer. He is the son of God who is the earth maker. His word is the word of life, not written on tablets of stone, but written on the heart. The tune is not obedience and prosperity and disobedience and curse. The tune is God so loves you. God so loved me that he sent his only begotten son to bring the gospel, the good news of eternal life. And his chorus is this. Follow me and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, in fact, the prophets were right. There was a future coming singer who would redeem and set them free. And Calvin Miller reminds us of this when Jesus sings the hill song. That is then the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the musical, he said, for theirs shall be a never-ending song. Blessed are those who know the difference between their loving and their lusting, for they shall be pure in heart and understand the reason. Blessed are those who die for reasons that are real, for they themselves are real. Blessed are all of those who yet can sing when all the theater is empty and the orchestra is gone. Blessed is a man who stands before the cruelest king and only fears his God. Blessed is the mighty king who sits beside the weakest man and thinks, of all their similarities. You see, Earthmaker is love. He has sent his only troubadour to close the canyon of the damned. And then the people broke his song and they cried out with one voice, tell us, singer, have you any hope for us? Can we be saved? You may, if you will sing the Earthmaker's song. Is there any other way to cheat the canyon of the damned? None. None but the song. 
You see, we have a song to sing. It's the ancient star song. God's creation and his providence that aims at redemption and restoration. You see, we know the song because it's been revealed to us. It is being sung even now in heaven because Revelation tells us the song. And we can join in that song. We can join in the chorus of that song here on earth. We know what it is. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to Him who sits even now on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Worship, friends, is when we come together in different expressions and in different languages, from different backgrounds and different tunes and different songs, we sing that song. Worthy is the Lamb. That's the new song. But wait a minute. You said there are three stanzas. There are. There's the old song, and there's the new song, and then there's the future song. You see, the future song is what we're going to sing eternally in heaven. And you know what? We don't know the words yet. We don't know that song yet. Why? Because it has not been revealed. It will be a song we know from Revelation that will be sung by all of God's redeemed, by the 144,000 once they have been purchased from the earth. There is a song that we will sing that we do not yet know the words to, but we will someday. Revelation 14 tells us, and they sang a new song. This is the really new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one, no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Someday we are going to sing a song that is so incredible we cannot even begin to imagine. And there are two things I want to close with. Two things that we do know about this future song. It's going to be better than anything that we can imagine. Paul tells us, and he tells the Corinthians, things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard and which have not entered in the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. There are things that are unimaginable. I can only, what, imagine. Wow. We're going to sing a new song. The other thing I know is this. What we do right now, friends, what we do right now in this worship service and what we do is we take our songs into the world is nothing but a dress rehearsal for things to come. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. Onward to the prize before us. Soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open and we will tre tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll do what? We'll sing and shout the victory. I don't know the words of that song, but I do know that when we stand in the beauty of holiness, 
Singing it will be unlike anything that we have ever experienced before. But friends, God tells us to practice now. God tells us to rehearse now. God tells us to sing, to sing the new song and to sing it anew. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.